Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Hey, before this episode begins, I just want to make sure you know that this series gets into some things that might be triggering to some listeners, specifically depression and suicide. If you or someone you know is struggling with suicidal thoughts, please seek assistance from a mental health professional or visit the National Institute of Mental Health's website at nimh.nih.gov for resources. If you're currently in crisis, you can call 1-800-273-TALK, that's 8255, or text the word HELLO to 741-741 to speak to someone immediately. Thank you for listening. That's me and Alex singing Britney Spears' Womanizer in 2009. We were on a farm in Michigan, out of the city, to clear our heads. We had spent the weekend hiking, getting high, cooking, and having a sit-down meal. More than anything, there was just a lot of laying around. In the exhausting years I spent racing to earn a master's degree, that trip stands out as a rare stretch of time where I did almost nothing at all. One afternoon, Alex and I wandered into a bedroom in the farmhouse where we came across an old pump organ of some sort. I lay down on the bed while he took a seat at the keys and started playing Womanizer, or at least an approximation of it. After Alex died, one of the friends who was on that trip with us went looking for footage of this moment, eventually finding it in her ex's Facebook archives. She sent it to me, and we reminisced about what a special trip that was, and how spending time with Alex had changed us both. This episode, I want you to get to know Alex a bit more, and meet some of the people who were transformed by his presence in their lives. To know him is to know a bit of each of us. What happens when you lose someone so close to you that you can trace the ways they shaped your life, your personality? And what are you supposed to do when they leave behind a trail for you to follow? 
I'm Chris Studman, and this is Unread Episode 2, Piece of Me. While singing Womanizer, Alex and I intentionally pitched our voices down, as a contrast to Britney's higher voice in the song, and to match the bizarre, flat way he was playing the organ. But lowering my voice comes naturally to me. As a closeted queer kid, I trained myself to speak deeper than I naturally would. Growing up, I'd been loud and talkative, but when I realized that flamboyance might give away my queerness, I went quiet. Suddenly hyper-attuned to how I was being perceived at all times, I started pitching myself down in voice and temperament. I began coming out as a teenager, first to internet strangers, then my mom, then friends. As the circle widened, I let my guard down, bit by bit, bringing the parts of myself I had tucked away back into the light. Still, the habit of hiding had become so instinctual, so built into the fabric of who I was, that I kept making myself smaller in ways I wasn't always aware of, including my speech. Here I am as a teenager, when I appeared in a documentary film about a summer camp for LGBTQ teens. I'd gone through puberty at this point, but you can hear the intentionally layered butchness of my tone. It seems to me like some people are getting the wrong impression about me. (laughs) I mean, you know, people may notice that I act, I don't know, the word that some have been used is goofy a lot um, because, you know, I like to have fun. Um, and maybe it is acting stupid, but I do like to be stupid now and then too. Um, anyway, I know I'm rambling, but my point is um, I think some people have gotten the wrong impression of me. And that does bug me a little bit because I don't like people to think differently about me. Because I can be really serious at times and I know that, you know, I just basically I just want to be myself. So. Hopefully that's coming across right. This defensive diatribe is funny, but I wince hearing it now. I grew up thinking that presenting a polished version of myself would keep me safe, that seeming smart or accomplished rather than irresponsible or carefree was key to survival. I was terrified that because I was letting go and having fun at camp, people wouldn't see me as serious or thoughtful or of any value at all. I can hear the fear in my voice in that documentary, still low, even though I'd been out of the closet for years by that point. A fear of people seeing my unrestrained self, of being too much. We all self-monitor and compartmentalize. Every one of us edits, curates, tucks away certain parts of ourselves, and tries to show a more controlled self-image to the world, especially online. Still, 
Sometimes we perform a certain kind of self because we want to, and other times we do it because we feel we have to. For a lot of my life, it felt necessary to present a tamer version of myself to the world. I learned to hide, and hiding became habit. But then, I met Alex. I'm a really good friend, and I'm a really good person, too. Like... I don't flush the toilet after I pee because I care about the environment. And one time I picked up a girl's basketball because her dad dropped it. Alex was hard to miss. Six foot four, always in a t-shirt, hair never styled. He looked wild, like Bigfoot, if Bigfoot was sensitive, gay, and loved to quote Britney lyrics. He could be just as elusive, too. He'd lose a whole day in internet forums, and the next, he'd be off getting lost in a national park. He was restless and impulsive. He once suggested we go on an impromptu camping trip, and after driving for hours without being able to find an open campsite anywhere, said we should just go back to my place and watch Shakira's She-Wolf music video on repeat instead. Another time, he set up sleeping bags on the roof of his mom's house for us because the temperature was perfect that night, and he said he'd never slept in an angle before. When Alex and I met on OkCupid, I was living on the south side of Chicago, working on a master's in religion, and he was living with his mom and sister up in Skokie, a suburb just northwest of the city. At first, we kind of sort of dated, but romance quickly turned to friendship. Then, about a year after we met, I was off to the East Coast to chase a job at Harvard. Within a couple years, he left Chicago too, following his compass out west. Alex and I both moved around a lot over our decade of friendship, though for different reasons. I pretty much always moved for some new, better job, while he would pick up and move whenever whims struck. Here's a voicemail he left me in 2016. Sorry I've been like, you know, whatever, but first of all, I live in New Mexico now and no one ever returns phone calls or ever hangs out. So I'm a flaky little bitch now. He wasn't flaky, but he was a restless spirit, forever on the move. But wherever he was going, whether it was a road trip to try some new roller coaster or an impulsive amateur storm chase, it was always with a deep sense of self intact. I'm tornado chasing in East Colorado, and a tornado just hit the ground 15 miles away. I'm excited. I'm a big boy. I'm a scientist. I'm a meteorologist. In Alex, I found a person who was singularly true to his nature. Someone who, despite the world's best attempts to make him feel like he was too intense, seemed considerably less worried about how he was coming across or proving his worthiness than I was. Alex didn't care about all the ways I hid. He didn't love me because of how busy I was or because I seemed smart, but because of who I was, the person he saw behind the facade. Around Alex, I didn't have to pitch my voice down, unless I wanted to, for fun. Let's go back to the evening I got Alex's goodbye email in December 2019. Chris, listen, he began. I am writing to let you know that when you receive this scheduled email, I will no longer be alive. He explained that his depression had gotten so bad that he was in too much pain and felt he needed to, as he put it, opt out. Then, he started talking about our friendship. 
Words fail me these days, he said. All I want to say is how much I love you and cherish everything about you. I'm sorry I lost touch with you. If only I could explain. It's just words, words, words. Too many words. I hope you understand. You are one of the best people I've ever known. I don't know how else to say it. It's very get naked, I got a plan, or quicksand. And yes, that last line was Britney song titles again. I know I'm so lucky to have this email. When Alex died, I was plagued by worry that I hadn't been supportive enough. But he offered me the profound gift of putting into words what I'd meant to him. He did this for others, too. From what I've been able to gather, Alex sent out at least a dozen emails to friends and family, and also left a note saying there were many others he couldn't summon the ability to write notes to, but who he wanted to know were loved, too. Each of us who did get an email got a piece of what felt like a disjointed story, tailored to our connection with him. It was like Alex's last act was to disperse little fragments of himself across the world, and we could only piece together the full story by finding one another. First, an email thread began with all of us who got notes, where we swapped stories about Alex. Then, a smaller crew started a group chat almost by accident, initially to coordinate around planning a meetup in California and share some updates on Alex's memorial in Chicago, where his mom lives. Before long, the six of us in this group chat were talking so often that we gave ourselves a name, Team Thor Daniels, a pseudonym Alex sometimes used online. I want to offer some of their pieces of Alex's story with you, the ways he helped them find their voice, too. There's Beth. She was on the phone with a friend when she got her email. I was like, I think my friend just killed himself. And he's like, what? Oh my God. Okay, do you need to go or can I help you? I was like, I think I just need to go. So I'm in my backyard here in front of my garage. And I just respond right away like, Alex, wait. <laughs> Call me, I want you to stay. And I said, I love you and I always will. <laughs> but I'm crying. <laughs> I just said, thank you for bringing you. Um, you made my life better. Alex once introduced me and Beth over Twitter because we were his two blue check friends. While my check is questionable, Beth is legit famous, and for good reason. Like Alex, she's thoughtful, empathetic, but perhaps above all else, a comedic genius. A couple months after Alex died, Beth came to my city to film a comedy special for HBO Max. It's called Girl Daddy. You should definitely watch it. And I'm also not on birth control because sometimes birth control is like, I know you're hungry, but what if you cried? (laughs) She dedicated the special to Alex, whose free-spiritedness influenced so much of her approach to humor. He really was, he was sort of already out of this world before he left this world. I know that sounds maybe cheesy, but in death, people can be made to seem like greater than they are. But really, I think it's just more looking back and analyzing how great he really was. Like, he really just was. Uh, I mean, someone I still would like to be more like. I I wish I absorbed more of it while he was here, but when you were around him, you got to act that way, you know, or feel a little bit of it. Um, Just the fully not afraid to be yourself. I just, I mean, it sounds silly to say I envy it, but yeah. 
There's James, who, like me, also met Alex on a dating app. And the photo that he had was him, like, outside with, like, kind of a douchey smile and a backwards hat, but there was also, like, a cat on his shoulder. And I was like, okay. I remember clicking on his Instagram account and, like, seeing a lot of shots of him, like, just outdoors and, like, it seemed very, like, kind of posed and very like mask for mask but then like interspersed with that would be like bizarre images of britney spears and just like all this random stuff thrown in which i mean at the time was like i think that's kind of what made me intrigued to like talk to him because he wasn't just like some dude i knew nothing of james before alex died but i get why alex messaged him he's cute funny so sweet and supportive as i started looking for alice james became one of my biggest cheerleaders and like alex He always did it in a teasing way that kept me from taking any of it too seriously. A thing Alex did for him, too. There are so many people that he connected with online that don't have, like, any relationship to each other. I know. No, I'm really glad you mentioned that because, like, yeah, in the months after Alex died, I was, like, randomly tracking down people who he knew because, like, I was just trying to, like, be useful somehow, you know? It is useful. It was more selfish than anything. No, I don't think it's selfish. I mean, the image of, you know, like that meme of like Charlie and always study in Philadelphia, like with in the office, like surrounded by like putting strings and between. Yeah, one of my on favorite yeah. memes ever. Yeah. And <laughs> That's kind been, of how I picture you making this podcast. <laughs> I'm not even joking. It is truly an image that has come into my head multiple times while working on this. <laughs> Just um, panicking and sweating and like seeing things. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely, you've got me nailed there. <laughs> Next, there's Dua, who lives in Croatia. Dua is funny in a way that no description could do justice. He's unhinged, so witty, and I know he'd want me to say he's extremely cute, too. Well, technically, what he'd really want me to say is that he's cuter than James. Is uh, James doing this? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to interview him in a couple weeks. Okay, just please make sure that if I have admitted that he gets like a second... <laughs> In the days after Alex died, Dua was the first person to make me laugh. He sent me some memes about Alex's death that were unbelievably dark, but also exactly Alex's humor. In one, he took an old picture of me and Alex. I'm sitting on Alex's shoulders as we stand outside the gates of Lollapalooza in Chicago, trying to watch Santa Gold perform from across the street because we couldn't afford tickets. And he duplicated it. In the duplicate image, Dua erased Alex, so I'm just floating in the air. Then, he put this new image side-by-side side with the original. Above them, he wrote the caption, 10-year challenge, a phrase that was making the rounds online at the time, where people would put an old and current picture side-by-side side to show how they had changed over the last decade. Like I said, dark. When I saw Dua's meme, I laughed, cried, and cried from laughing. Dua reminds me so much of Alex that it can actually be a little jarring. One time, they even got suspended from the Britney fan forum where they met because the moderators thought they were the same person with two accounts. To me, it was a huge compliment because I'm like, gosh, because he's hilarious. So if somebody thinks I'm Alex, you know, well, I sure. mean, that's I mean, that's the thing. You Sometimes the way that you remind me of Alex is almost sort of eerie. It's like, you know, you guys just obviously had a very special connection. Yeah, it was. It was really based on being morbid sarcastic and but overall loving he was so loving to everyone and i'm like the same way but if you really don't know me you might think of me as i'm like this 
six foot two hunk guy that doesn't really interact well, but I'm quite. I'm a dancer for God's sakes. Dua got his email from Alex early in Croatia time. I think I read it in 6 a.m. in the morning, and I haven't got any emails from Alex, I think, that last year. And because I was sending him emails, and I thought, oh my God, he finally responded. I was just horrified. I don't know. I was really, really bad. Joy Behar once said um, beautifully, I don't know who passed away, but she said, it's always sad when comedian dies. And um, because Alex, he was such a high energy person, I think he filled every room he showed up. And when you lose that person, it's like silence. You just left with silence. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of. A degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cash back on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. At the beginning of our friendship, Alex showed me his signature loud, high-pitched dog bark. Almost anyone who's met him has probably heard it. Beth remembers him doing it all the time when they met as co-workers at a bagel shop the same year Alex and I met, too. We would just be working together and he would, you know, either like moan, make some sort of corny moan or like, <laughs> you know, we'd bark at each the other. Barking. Yeah. I found this old video of Alex teaching me how to do that bark. Yeah. It sounded was, so real. It was. It sounded like there was a, a dog in the bagel shop. Here's him trying to teach me. I try the bark, but I'm not quite getting it. My barks are hesitant and too low, like the way I had trained myself to speak. I'm embarrassed, looking down, averting my eyes as I try. So Alex steps back in to show me how to do it. He encourages me, and I try again. Come on. 
but I'm still not getting it, and I start laughing uncomfortably. <laughs> the thing about the bark is that it's higher than I want to go. It feels so counterintuitive, so opposed to what I had told myself was safe to do. It's high. Wild. But Alex doesn't chastise or shame me. He simply shows me, again, how it's done. Growing closer to Alex felt like an active deprogramming of all the bullshit I'd internalized. Years of shame, of what I should or shouldn't do, what did or didn't make me worthy of love. But he didn't do it by telling me how to be or what to do. He just showed the way and let me walk by his side. This is friendship at its best and most pure, I think. When you find someone who loves you as you are, who tells you it's okay to let down your fronts, someone with whom you can both be yourself and become something more than you were before, who can help you find your voice and expand it. But after Alex died, it was like I lost part of my voice. I think this is partly why, as I looked over his email again and again, I couldn't stop wondering about Alice. About this detail in Alex's email that I didn't understand. Wondering what exactly he was trying to show me here. But am I like some of the commenters on Britney's Instagram, looking for meaning in the smallest thing? So far we've heard from three out of the five people who became my inner circle after Alex died. There are two more, and they know Alex's interiority better than just about anyone. They're also the people who, as I began fixating on Alice, actually encouraged me to try to find her. There's Shoshi, Alex's sister. In the weeks after Alex's death, we texted basically all day every day to coordinate details about his cremation and memorial, but also just, you know, to deal. But Shoshi wasn't just texting me. She was working overtime to make sure all the people in Alex's life knew what had happened and to connect us to one another. Her determination in those days, in the face of immense loss, was unreal to me. I can't imagine getting through those first few days without that. I, I mean, I feel so grateful that you let me in. I'm so grateful that you, you were you. You were so available and helpful and understanding and respectful. Shoshi and my paths first crossed in 2009, when she and Alex were living at their mom's place. But she didn't really remember that when she found me online after Alex's death. I mean, we hadn't really even spoken before. Well, you said that we met a couple times when I was was like super stoned. We like passed like chips in the night in the hallway of your house. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You were like my brother and his like friend hanging around. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, (laughs) Um, it was too cool. Um, You were, for the record, very cool. (laughs) A lot has changed. (laughs) Shoshi is kind, sharp, and unapologetically herself, perhaps more so than anyone else I've ever met besides Alex. I aspire to one day be even half as much myself as Shoshi is. She's as one of a kind as Alex was. Their childhood wasn't always easy. Alex and Shoshi grew up in tight quarters with limited resources, and their big personalities could clash. But maybe in part because of that, there was total honesty in their relationship. They were never afraid to tell each other the truth, 
to fight, and to make up whenever the time was right. The last time that I spoke with my brother was through text messages, and I got mad at him for not responding to me. I didn't... Yeah, I got mad at him. <laughs> um, I mean... I, I called him selfish and rude for not responding to me and at least letting me know that he was okay. And he blew up at me in his text message back to me and then blocked me. And um, that was the last time that we talked. When he did this, she decided to honor the boundary Alex had put up, knowing they'd find their way back to one another. You know, I wonder if because I was always keeping tabs on him. Um, I was always kind of asking where he was, what he was doing, like just check in with me. If that was partially the reason why he wanted to just totally disconnect from me. And because it's not that I forgot about him, I just let him disappear because I felt that's what he needed to do. I mean, I don't think that the argument that my brother and I had was enough to really warrant a block <laughs> Right, because you guys had had arguments before. Like, you guys butted Oh, my heads. God. Like, <laughs> He's my brother. He's my little brother. We're 18 months apart. Like, we fought. <laughs> they fought because they loved each other so much. After everything they'd gone through, Alex knew he could share even his darkness, his anger and intemperance with Shoshi, and still be loved because they saw and accepted each other for who they really were for better and for worse. He was a unique, eccentric, original. He was empathetic. He was gentle. He was kind. He was trustworthy, loyal, and super fun. I think Alex was probably the most authentic person that anyone has ever come across. Definitely me. I can say that for sure. And finally, Lexi, Alex's best friend. Anyone who knew Alex knew Lexi was everything to him. Honestly, I was pretty intimidated before we talked for the first time because I knew that Alex had such a high opinion of her. Once you meet her, it's obvious why. She's brilliant, hilarious, an unbelievably talented artist, and also so generous. When my dog Tuna very suddenly and unexpectedly died half a year after Alex did, Lexi sent me a hat with Tuna's face on it, which she'd embroidered by hand. Her creativity reminds me so much of Alex's. When Lexi, Shoshi, and I worked together to plan Alex's memorial, Lexi was in charge of everything creative. She made a Romy and Michelle's high school reunion-inspired post-it board for guests to write tributes, a nod to Alex's favorite movie. And it was her genius and appropriately dark idea to put Alex's ashes in Britney Spears' fragrance bottles so that each of us could have a piece of him. Lexi and Shoshi had already been looking for Alex the day his scheduled emails went out after a rental place called Shoshi about a car that Alex hadn't returned. Lexi was out shopping for her job as a costume designer when she got a call back from a sheriff in Wyoming where Alex had been living in the final months of his life and learned they were looking for him too. Very shortly after that, I received my email. <laughs> and I was at a fucking Macy's in the Valley. <laughs> and I opened my email and I just fucking lose it. I'm like, 
it was the worst moment of my life. I still can't go back to that mall, <laughs> like truly. And I just like kept reading it and just was sobbing and just, yeah, it was like horrible, totally horrible. One thing in particular about Lexi's email from Alex stood out to her. I think it like really resonates with me, the part in his note where he, um, it's like one of the first sentences just saying that he's so sorry, but also that he's like really not. (laughs) And that he was like, sorry that he was doing this to me and to all of us. But at the same time, he really wasn't. The fact that he could say that to Lexi, I'm not sorry, and know that she would understand, is a testament to how close they were. With her, as with Alex, there's no bullshit. But, like with me, that wasn't always the case for Lexi. She and I talked a lot about how hanging out with Alex was sort of like going down the rabbit hole into Wonderland, both an escape from the constraints of your reality and something that changed you. They met at summer camp when she was 14. He was the rabbit, and she was a teenager in Nebraska living with strict parents who expected a lot from her. His invitation was a simple one. Whatever you feel deep down inside, whatever version of yourself that you're hiding or suppressing, be that. It was like the freest I'd ever felt in my entire life up until that point. I had never fully felt myself ever, because I always just felt like I didn't fit in like anywhere. Everybody was so fucking conventional and like no one did anything ever to like shake it up. And then Alex came along. He really like shook up my whole world. After their magical summer at camp, one that changed Lexi forever, it was time to part ways. They kept in touch online and he'd visit her a lot, but that initial parting was hard. It was the last day of camp and we had to say goodbye. And like, I didn't know if I was ever gonna see him again. And like, he was like getting on the van and I was just like sobbing. I had like never felt like that strong of an emotion before. It was like truly love. He really was my first love in a very non-sexual way. (laughs) (laughs) Even though I did see his dick and butthole more times than I can count. (laughs) Same. Same. Even though we only went out for like, I don't know, a month or two or something. Yeah, you probably saw more after you weren't dating than you did when you were. 100%. Way more. Yeah. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. 
Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cashback on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Alex helped all of us become more ourselves, but we were united in something else, too. We each struggled to reach him in the final year of his life. At first, it didn't feel strange. Alex would vanish sometimes, needing space for himself, and he was also just always on the move. I know I couldn't keep track. There was an elusiveness to him, and there was definitely a side of him that I just would never see, you know, or didn't know about. But part of why we all stayed friends with him over the years, even as he disappeared, is because we understood. And we could be the same way ourselves, too. For many of us, communication with him was almost always touch and go, hot and cold on both ends. We would spend weekend basically on the phone and then, again, months, nothing. Still, as this elusiveness stretched on much longer than usual, we all began to worry. I got scared when he didn't respond for, like, 10 months. And again, the whole time, you know, your life is happening, you know, life goes on. But it was always like in the back of my head, like, where the fuck is he? Some of us wondered if we'd done something to upset him. I really thought if I maybe did something, maybe I, I don't know what I did. I had the same worry. It's probably the main reason why, besides my busyness, I didn't try as hard to track him down as I now wish I had. On some level, I think I was scared I had unknowingly hurt or offended him. So, like Shoshi, I decided to respect his boundary. And because Team Thor Daniels wasn't a thing at the time, none of us realized it was something the other people in his life were experiencing too. So, we tried to reassure ourselves that this was just Alex being Alex. He pretty bluntly said to me, like, I know, like, I drop off the radar every once in a while, but I want you to know that, like, it's nothing personal. It's kind of just me. I have a lot of stuff going on, and it's never about you. In hindsight, it's clear that was true in his last year, too. He wasn't mad at us. He was spending that year preparing for his final disappearance. Some of the things he did, whether it was disappearing from social media from time to time or disappearing from his friendships from time to time, were things that he needed to do leading up to his final disappearance and death for himself, and I think he also did it for others, too. I think it was, like, practice in a way. The internet kept him connected to us over the years as he followed his whims, but it also allowed him to keep his relationships separate enough that none of us really knew one another. And it allowed him to log off and disappear from our lives when he decided he was going to end his own. 
His elusiveness and the role the internet played in it makes me wonder if maybe Alice understood him in a way that none of the rest of us did. Because she could be so elusive too. Because she, like Alex, was a digital creature prone to disappearing. Shortly after Alex died, I told Lexi about the strange files at the end of my email. I made a joke about trying to find Alice for a podcast, and it was Lexi who first said, you really should. Instead of playing along with my tossed-off comment, Lexi simply told me, honestly, to go for it. And I knew that if she said it, she meant it. I think that, like, there's a reason why he left you those files, and, like, I don't know if I can exactly, like, pinpoint what it is, but, I mean, it would be fucking cool if we could find out. It's definitely the kind of thing that, like, with me and my personality that, like, I just can't let go of. And maybe that was part of it, too. Right. Maybe he knew it would, like, torture you forever. (laughs) So. Totally. (laughs) Maybe he, like, knew that, like, you would start a podcast about (laughs) it and was, like, hoping this would happen. After Alex's death, the six of us in the Thor Daniels group talked all the time at first helping each other through it, and then becoming friends in our own right. Meeting you and Lexi and the Thor Daniels group, Dewey, Beth, James, you know, and all of Alex's friends. I mean, I consider you all my best friends. I would not have interacted with you guys had he not died. And that's just just so crazy to think about. Most often we talked in an ongoing Instagram DM chat. But we also sometimes got together over Zoom to mark occasions like Alex's birthday or the anniversary of his death. But there's one conversation I want to highlight, one that gave me what I needed to pursue my search for Alice, who in so many ways was beginning to feel like she was hovering over my conversations with them. If we were some kind of newly formed Scooby-Doo gang, she was the mystery before us, one I couldn't solve on my own. So I brought it to the group. I'm curious if any of you, like, Did Alex ever talk to any of you about Alice? He mentioned it to me, I think probably while the conversations he was having with her were happening. And I, I mean, I didn't dismiss it, but I was skeptical. We were on this fence side and there was this girl and we would go to Tiny Chat and she would talk and she sounded like Britney. Because she would do, like, uh, signature Britney things. So that kind of gave her credibility. And she never claimed to be Britney. She would say that she wasn't Britney. As you said, like, there's a lot of impersonators and stuff, but it did not sound to me like someone doing an impersonation. Like, I Even her giggles, it was really spot on. I'm not saying it was Britney, but it really did sound like her. If he ever mentioned it, I would have, like... Like, I never just, like, outright not believed everything or anything that Alex said, but uh, (laughs) I don't know. I feel like the, like, period of time in which he was chatting or talking to her was, like, very short. I feel like it, like, happened in that moment in time, and, like, he talked to me about it, like, maybe a couple of times, and I, like, sort of dismissed it, and then we never really talked about it much further, because, like, for whatever reason. You're just like, yeah, okay, it's Britney Spears. Right. But while most of them were skeptical about Alice while Alex was alive, they began to have the same inkling of intrigue that I had when I found the files in my email. At first, it's like a small seed of an idea. 
place it in soil, water it a little, and just let it grow. Admitting my curiosity to the Thor Daniels crew, a collection of people who were all changed by Alex and his free-spiritedness, was like planting my Alice seed in the richest soil. As we talked, I could feel my questions multiplying. After a while, the thrill of believing in something outlandish was like reconnecting with Alex's essence. As Duet put it, It's fantasy, you know, it's like, why not believe? Talking to them about Alice was like going back down the rabbit hole. I could stop overthinking it and just give in in the same way I could when Alex was around. None of us knew if there was anything to Alice, but we all agreed that it would be more fun to give in than to try and stop our curiosities from taking root. That was just sort of like part of the fun of being his friend. As his friend, you sort of like submit to that fantasy with him and you just sort of go along for the ride. Skepticism may be one of my strengths, but I can also wield it against myself like a weapon, one that dampens any curiosity that seems too colorful or absurd. One of the greatest gifts Alex gave me was teaching me how to stop questioning myself so much, to stop overthinking and hiding, to bark like no one was listening. So I'm going for it. I'm submitting to the fantasy. If I ever said her name, Y'all would flip out, I know. I'm gonna look for Alice. Next time on Unread. People are very passionate over this. That was one thing I found. There are a lot of posts where someone just asks, who is Banana Alice? And it's pretty hilarious to see. There are so many passionate responses saying, it's not Brittany. This was from so long ago. It's just someone pretending. Who cares? Leave it alone. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cashback on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at Let'sMakeAPlan.org.